Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Brock Scheinen, who is a lawyer and strategy consultant, a speaker, an author, and a founder. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Hope you're having a fantastic day and week. Um, I'm excited for a new Guys Like Us podcast episode. But before I jump in, um, if you've been listening for a while and, and you have been enjoying what you hear um, and are experiencing, I, I would love if you can share this on social media, um, on Instagram in particular, um, and then also uh if you could leave an iTunes um, rating and review, um, it would be much appreciated. Just a few ways that you can help and support the Guys Like Us podcast. Um, if you're a new listener, um, just so great to have you on today um, and excited uh, for this conversation with Brock Scheinen, um, who is a lawyer and strategy consultant, a speaker and author, and the founder of the law office of Brock Scheinen Incorporated. Um, we talk a little bit more about his background, um, where where he's coming from, which is sunny California, um, and his latest book, The Christian Entrepreneur, Dream, Plan, Execute, and Grow. Um, we talk about the importance of being in the marketplace, why Christ followers um, are called to, uh, to to use their talents, their time, and their treasures uh, in the marketplace. Um, and he gives uh, an experience of his um, that really uh, helped launch his career into law. We talk about kind of some of the, the, the beginning stages of business formation um, and what you should know before starting and launching a business. There's a, a lot of steps that, that we can break it down to um, while incorporating vision at the same time and this inspiration, which I, I do believe Brock does a great job of doing in this book. And, and you'll hear in the conversation of what, as well of being really practical, but also being pretty big picture um, as well and, and really dancing between between those, those two. We talk about some particular elements of the book. Um, and then he, he just shares some more insights and knowledge um, and wisdom from from what he's been doing for the past few decades now. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Brock. Brock, thanks so much for joining me in the Guys Like Us podcast today. Thanks, Tyler. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, so I I, I, um, I have your book actually right in front of me, and it's something I, I, I want to dive into. I, I know you've been doing a lot of having a lot of conversations around this and have poured a lot of your uh, heart and soul into the book as well. Um, but first, I, I just want to kind of orient our listeners to a bit more about about you. Um, so would you would you mind sharing a little bit about your business and legal background, um, which I which I know is kind of uh, in your expertise um, and how your faith has been uh, has been integral and part of your life as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll try and give like kind of the snapshots because it's kind of a long story, you know, sort of a sure. lifelong journey. But of basically, um, you know, growing up, I grew up in the church. My mom, uh, my mom was a worship leader. Dad was a pastor. I had a lot of uh, family members in ministry. So I kind of grew up knowing, knowing that I wanted to serve people. I wanted to help people. 
but you know when you're young and and i think well actually i guess no matter what age you are i think a lot of times in church we're just kind of taught hey if you want to serve that way you're going to be a pastor a worship leader a missionary right it's one of those three but i just i felt like there was more i knew that i wanted to help people and so as i got a little older and through school i started thinking about psychology and realized, you know what, I want to help people because I want to be there for them. Like, I want to talk them through their issues, their problems, their struggles. So I went to college, got my bachelor's in psychology, and then I went to graduate school, and I was going towards my master's and PhD in clinical psychology. So on the way, really feeling like, okay, I'm in my lane. I know that I want to bring the kingdom of God into people's lives in a way that's very tangible and practical where I can actually like kind of hold their hand through problems and talk them through. Cause I just, mm -hmm. by that point in my life, I realized, man, there's so many people that need help. And when you really look at people, I mean, I don't care what we're, whether this is business or education or family life or church life or whatever, mm -hmm. people are really struggling. And I just realized, man, I want to speak into people's lives, like on the very, human level like day-to-day -day kind of level and walk walk with them so transitioning i went through some stuff in my life and just asked god god if if i'm on the wrong path or if you want me in a different path you know please just reorient my life where you want it and so i felt very clearly he told me to stop school. I would, like I said, I was in graduate school, mm -hmm. drop out of that, quit my job. I was counseling at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I was going to church and I just kind of like, yeah, I'm showing up here. I'm saying, God, lead me because I don't have a job. I'm out of school. <laughs> I have school loans and debt and all this. You know, I need to know what's next. And through a series of, of decisions and events and just really trying to be dependent on him, I got a job at a, a uh, what was becoming the fastest growing worship label, um, worship music label in the world, and I got a job there, kind of in the lowest job in the whole company. And within a matter of months, the guy that was managing the company said, "Brock, there's something on you, and I want to train you to take over all of our publishing and licensing activities." Mm -hmm. So I said yes, and through the course of that, I you know I got exposed to contracts and copyrights and you know, intellectual property. Mm -hmm. And I really just felt like God spoke to me and said, and now I want you to go to law school. So it's kind of like there's a million pieces in between and after that kind of fill in gaps. But I mean, as far as like getting into law, that was like the, the short synopsis of my journey. But man, faith is is the essence of what I do, not just mm -hmm. a lawyer, but as a person. I mean, I, I I think, you know, we'll probably end up at some point in the conversation talking about, you know, where does that, what does that integration look like? But for me, I'll just kind of cut to uh, the chase on some of it. Mm -hmm. My faith in law, my faith in business is, it's full integration. Like there is no separation of church and state. There's no separation of faith and business. For me, right. it's a full integration because I'm a single person, single unitary whole um, with faith, you know, fully immersing everything I do, every bit of advice I give, every bit of research I conduct, you know, all that. So totally. it's kind of a, a long slash short answer to the question. Yeah, no, it, well, th thank you. And I, I think you, you were able to cover a lot in a, in a, a very uh, concise amount of time. And I, I'm sure you've kind of, you've honed that skill as well through, <laughs> through, through pitches and just kind of, uh, again, using, uh, using that and kind of using business and some of the skills in, in all, all facets of your life. So, uh, yeah. it, it, that's, that's fantastic. And you mentioned kind of how the, this organization, um, um, this, uh, this, uh, record label kind of had 
maybe introduce you to some of the some of the different components of um, of kind of what king, kingdom business can look like. Um, yeah. How I guess yeah. What was important for you um, from that organ from you know kind of from a, more of an organizational or standpoint that um, excited you to to pursue this and not pursue it. Uh, I, I guess and make that change and, and not see it as something that was that was separate, um, but yeah. that was something that was just part of part of your life. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think to that point, all the jobs that I had had, you know, from summer jobs, like going back to my very first job, you know, lifeguarding or you know being an EMT or different things, you know, working at Radio Shack, working at the like the hot dog place in the mall. You know, look at all those different jobs. And every single one of them, in one way or another, was either like a summer job, a put some money in my pocket job, a get me through school job, um, yeah. or an outgrowth of my education, like the counseling job. And so this this one at the at the record label is probably my first like out, out you know real world job. So that right. was one thing. I, I mean, I of course had been working since I was 15 years old. Yeah. So it wasn't my first job, but it was kind of my first outside of all that. Just hey, I got a job, and now I'm in in my real life, you know, sort of so to speak. Um, that that company was a Christian company. It was an outgrowth of a church, like actually out out of the Anaheim Vineyard Church. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Vineyard Music in the in the '90s, basically for anybody that knows that history. So it was full ministry. I mean, I'd show up and like there's worship happening every morning. There's people praying in their offices. You know, there's worship music playing over the speakers and, you know, all that. So you're kind of around worship constantly. You're around, you know, the Bible and Christians constantly. But um, I quickly realized a couple of things. One is, you know, where we were positioned as a record label, we were interfacing with the, with the you know, I'll call it secular. I don't, you know, that's I, I don't like to always you know, distinguish, but it's like we're interfacing with the outside music world, you know, record labels, publishers, writers, producers, you know, that, that weren't Christians or weren't necessarily Christians. And so I realized, oh, you know what? They don't understand our language because I'd get into these conversations with people and I talk about what we do in the church or, you know, what we do in this Christian record label or Christian publishing company. And it'd be like, what? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, it's a foreign language to us. So I think pretty quickly I realized a bunch of things. I mean, and that, and that season for me was a huge growth for me, growth season for me, because I realized a, a couple of things. One being the church and the world tend to speak different languages. And when the church comes into the world, we kind of carry our language with us. And a lot of times the world is like, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't understand yeah. it. I don't have a context. And so I didn't realize this till years later, kind of what it's called. But I real, but in retrospect, I realized then I started becoming a cultural translator simply because I needed to walk in the spiritual world, the church world, and the secular, the general market world, and be able to speak both languages and communicate in a way where I was understood, mm-hmm. regardless of which side of, of that conversation I was on. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is. You know, being exposed to contracts, being exposed to copyrights, I just had a natural inclination and interest in it. I mean, I consumed, you know, one of the things that the GM told me at the time, he's like, Brock, buy whatever book you want, take whatever course you want, um, you know, go. He, he sent me all over the country to get trained by people that were in the industry. And, and no kidding. I mean, I had people like at CCLI, you know, that serves the churches. They sat down with me for a week 
like they're executives. They sat down with me for a week just sewing into me like this is what the music business is all about. This is what we do in church. And I just I was consumed with it. I was like, I love this stuff. Yeah. And so when I felt God say go to law school, it was it was a curveball simply because I had never in my life thought about being a lawyer, never in my life even considered like if I had a list of top 20 potential careers lawyer wasn't even like it didn't even make the list Mm -hmm. never thought about it so that was a curveball for me but when i felt god speaking to me i'm like that makes total sense i'm i'm dealing with contracts i'm dealing with copyrights and intellectual property i feel like i jive with this i want to do this you know and so going to law school just made ultimate sense and so i kind of went into law school I, I, I started going to law school at night and working full-time until that just didn't work anymore and then i switched to law school full-time and finished out but it was all during those few years of, of law school and work where i started to see like man i need to speak two languages i need to make sure that my faith doesn't get left at the door but that i don't walk into a you know a boardroom or or secular record label you know quoting scripture and expect that anybody's going to listen i need to start understanding kind of what what the dynamics of real relationship and bringing the kingdom into the marketplace really looks like and that was kind of my baptism in that yeah no wow um well fantastic and there's a lot of questions on that but i i guess first um I guess why or what what is the uh, the maybe some of the biggest differentiators or the kind of the biggest differences that you see um, or maybe you know through you or people that you've talked to on what makes kind of the Christian market or Christian businesses um, or market you know I guess market opportunities different than maybe what is what else is offered out there. Is there kind of some distinguishing characteristics that, that you've seen that really make for a strong, um, uh, I guess, Christ-centered uh, enterprise? Yeah, and it, but it's a tough it's a tough thing because yeah. I kind of see it as almost like a, a chart with quadrants where it's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm visualizing it, but I don't know that I can articulate it well in audio. So let me let me explain what I'm trying to say is that I know that and I actually talk about this in the book, but I, I know that there are Christian businesses that kind of view their work as like, hey, I'm always going to have business because of, you know, I go to church and all my referrals are from church or, you know, whatever. So they don't even have to try. They don't even have to try to be good business people. They don't even have to really understand their market Mm. because, you know, customers are kind of lining up at the door simply because they have a really strong referral service and, you know, people like them. And, you know, I've seen that so, so dominantly in the church environment where, you know, Christians that own businesses and, and I'm not certainly not saying all of them are like this. I'm just saying there's a pretty strong contingency of Christian businesses that are like, I don't really have to be good at this because yeah. uh, there's there's always customers and God will take care of me if there's not. And so I don't need to learn P&Ls. I don't need to make sure I'm the yeah. best in the marketplace. I don't need to worry about any of that. Yeah. Then you have other people that are like, I, you know, I worked with Intel, I worked with Amazon, I worked with Apple or GM or, you know, whatever. And, and then I got saved and now I'm going to go into the business world and start sharing the gospel. And these, these people come in with all this deep, deep business experience, but they're walking into boardrooms kind of as changed people. So they're walking into boardrooms and spouting scriptures and, you know, chastising people and, and starting Bible studies. And the hard part is, is that I'm not saying any of that is 
well, I, I'm not trying to, to get into whether that's right or wrong, but what I'm saying is contextually, a lot of times those Christians start to get basically barred from those environments because, you know, yeah. you think about, you know, a guy coming into the boardroom and quoting scripture, like the board's talking about shareholders, you know, stakeholders and shareholders and returns on investments. And when you start talking about scriptures and, you know, well, God's going to provide, that's not business language. And so all yeah. of a sudden it diminishes the impact and the knowledge that we bring into that, that secular boardroom because we're using this lingo that basically invalidates us. And then there's this whole other contingency, and this is probably more what I feel like I'm kind of aligned with. And this this really goes back to a, a quote I use all the time. And I paraphrase it because I don't actually know the exact quote or I just don't remember it. But uh, St. Francis of Assisi basically saying, if we're Christian shoemakers, our job is not to put crosses on every shoe. Our job is to make the best shoes possible. Mm-hmm. And I extrapolate from that and say, God, as a Christian, a Christian business person, I want to be the best business person in all of the world. I want to be better than everybody in what I do, what my skill set is. I will research more. I will learn more. I will immerse myself in more difficult situations so I become more experienced, quicker, longer, deeper, whatever that looks like. I want to be the best at what I do. But it goes back to my one of my life verses, which is in Colossians, which says, whatever you do, do it with your whole heart as if doing it for God and not for man. So for me, I'm not trying to please anybody. I'm not trying to to be you know on a platform where I'm recognized as like, oh, man, Brock's a genius. I'd love to be a genius because I'm doing it for God. And I don't care if anybody in business thinks that as long as God thinks that. But because I take that call so seriously... I want to be the best that I can be. And so kind of circling back to your question, Mm -hmm. what I see with Christians in business is there's a mishmash of I don't have to be good at all because God will take care of me. I don't have to be good at all because the church will always send me business versus I can be good, but I can also, you know, stamp scriptures on everything I do and make sure that I beat the world over the head with with the gospel in a very overt way versus and and i'm sure there's a lot of other iterations but kind of what i just ended with with versus you know what i'm going to be fully immersed in the spirit and walk into the marketplace knowing that not only am i armed with a full immersion in the spirit but i'm also armed with a the best practices the most knowledge the most experience i could possibly get possibly gather and i'm walked in you know i'm walking in armed right 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 no, and I think you raised something that's really fascinating. And, and one thing um, uh, from John Wesley is is he had knowledge of a lot of the 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 existing songs and the worship songs that were that were being kind of pronounced in in the world and in the uh, larger context, and just being thinking through of how um, these same melodies and these same rhythms can be applied, um, into a different context. Um, so I, I don't know, it's something I, that's, I think I've been, I've been thinking through, but I wanted to, um, to, to kind of shift a little bit, you know, getting a little bit more practical in your, in your, in your book. Um, so I guess, first of all, I I haven't fully addressed the title or said congratulations. So your latest book, (laughs) the Christian entrepreneur dream plan, execute and grow, which is, is now available. Um, congrats on, uh, on this new book. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been a really exciting journey. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, totally. Um, so can you can you talk a little bit about kind of the inspiration um, that that went behind this? 
um, and, and really what you're hoping, uh, you know, if readers can take away something from this book, what you're hoping that they, uh, they do. Yeah, I think it ties back to, you know, sort of a little bit of what I was talking about earlier, where right. I got to a point in my life very young, like actually, I think I was probably in junior high, by the time I started to realize that the way that you help people is on a very, like real time, boots on the ground, conversation to conversation, word to word way, you know, most people in life in any aspect of life are not helped at the 30,000 foot level. You know, we all love to be inspired, but most of us, given the opportunity to be inspired and look at the change a year later versus I'm going to teach you practical, pragmatic steps, action steps, you know, to change your life. You know, if you look at those two groups a year later, the people that were inspired very often will not change at all because they don't know how. Um, Mm -hmm. And the people that do change are because they were giving very pragmatic steps and how to do so. And so I say that because with this book, Part of my vision for this book is, you know, I've been practicing law over 17 years. I've been a professional for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also because of my psychology background and helping people. And I mean, I was like teaching Bible study uh, when I was in junior high. Like I, I've always wanted to help. And I remember in high school, um, a handful of times where I got calls in the middle of the night. There were two calls I remember distinctly. Um, one was a per, one of my, my peers. They weren't really a friend at, at school, but one of my peers that I knew who they were wanted to commit suicide mm-hmm. and for whatever reason called me. And it was like three in the morning and you know, I, I, my parents woke me up because we had the whole landline thing and they took the call and, and um, you know, all that. But I, I remember talking to this person and like basically talking them out of suicide yeah. and trying to give them hope. And the reason why I say that and I use that exa- example is because people get helped by very, very granular level assistance. They don't get helped by broad strokes and like, you know, big ideas. They get helped by the very actionable, like, what does my next step look like? So I wanted to provide a resource that looked like, how can I inspire people to know they can change, but actually give them the tools to change? And what have I seen over all of these years of working with entrepreneurs and businesses, you know, large and small, um, successful and not successful. And what what tools can I give to somebody who wants to, to build something and do it better? Yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, okay, there's a lot of people in that journey and they're at a lot of different points in that journey. So what if I looked at people who haven't built anything yet and are just dreaming versus people who are, you know, been in business for 30 years? And so like as I kind of went through that conversation in my own head and said, if I was going to help somebody, how would I want to help them? I started putting this thing together and saying, okay, people are different places in the journey, first of all. So their needs are very unique in some ways um, to where they are in that journey. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, where are the friction points? Like what are they really struggling with? You know, with a dream, most people have no idea if it's a good dream or not. And most Christians will validate their dreams because they'll say, well, God gave me a dream or I had prophetic words spoken over me. And there's no vetting process. Like, like literally, that is the vetting process. Well, you know, somebody, you know, so-and-so spoke a word. I'm not saying, you know, I, I get words spoken over me all the time and I've given words over other people. So I'm not at all mocking that or downplaying that. But what I'm saying is there's never any element of vetting that comes with dreams. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of Bible verses on the wisdom of counsel. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, looking at your plans and all that. So yep. uh, all that to say, I wanted to create a resource that was very granular, yet very inspirational and very, very geared towards like I, this is boots on the ground. This right. is me walking into your bakery, walking into your oil changing facility, walking into your, uh, you know, your, your educational facility, whatever it is, and saying, hey, I'm going to walk with you for a month and tell you, hey, here's what I would recommend. Or, hey, did you know this is, you know, this course has been charted before. And yeah. here's what, you know, people that succeeded did. And here's what people that failed did. And I'm going to give you some tools to think about because what I find is that most entrepreneurs don't want to look at the granular level because then they have to take responsibility for it. Mm. And it's a lot easier, especially as Christians, if things don't go our way to say, well, you know what? God wasn't in it or the door's closed you know, or, you know, whatever, instead of saying, you know, I kept myself ignorant. I didn't really ask the hard questions before I jumped in. Mm -hmm. And if I did, I would have done better. So that was kind of my, I mean, obviously with everything, there's a lot more to it, but I I would say if I could concisely capture kind of what went into why I created this, that was it. Right, right, right. Uh, And I think that's fantastic because I, um, I, I, I do think it's a good balance of, keeping that, keeping that vision, keeping that inspiration, um, while also getting incredibly practical too. Um, and uh, yeah, again, giving people kind of a, a roadmap, a toolkit for, for getting boots on the ground for just for, and for launching this. Um, yeah. can, so when I, I, I've taken some business classes and, uh, in school myself. And one of the, one of the things that I I've heard numerous times in classes, but then also, you know, obviously in a lot of business books is to, to really address the problem and understand what's going on. Um, and and, I guess what you're trying to solve, um, can, and then kind of looking at, at the way that you frame it, starting with dream are, are these two, can this be a both and, or how, how do you think through, um, maybe the advice that I, that I was given through identifying the problem? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right in in um, in looking at where is there a problem that I can you know help alleviate. You know, you think about something like a paper clip, like hey, we have papers, we need to keep them gathered, but a staple you know is sort of permanent in some respect. Yeah. So if we take it out, it rips the paper. Blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, voila, let's use a paper clip. It's a temporary th- you know solution to keeping our papers gathered, right? And, and when you think about friction points like that in life and in business, you say, what makes sense if you want to go into business is to find a friction point and solve that problem. Find a problem and, and, and solve that problem for people. And I don't disagree with that at all. But mm. what I would say is that it's just incomplete. Mm. Because what's happening right now, you know, like we're, we're in this this hysteria, right, over the coronavirus and there's so much going on. Yep. It would be very... And, and I'm sure this is already happening. There are people that say, here's a big problem. You know, buying toilet paper or hand sanitizer is a, is a big practical problem. Yeah. I have a solution, right? So when you think about through that lens of finding a problem and solving it, okay, so I'm going to sell, you know, hand um, sanitizer. Mm-hmm. That That's great. Are you a chemist? Do you have any background? Do you have the facilities? Do you do you understand how to market? Do you understand if there's FDA approval required? Do you understand if you're dealing with drugs or you know where there's FDA regulations? And and quickly, all of a sudden, it turns into la 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 la. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Yeah. And yeah. and that's the thing with me is that when people are told, hey, find a problem in the world and solve it, I I think that's that's great advice, but it's just incomplete. So what I would say is. 
if if you want to really start something and you've never built anything or you want to start something new and like, hey, I, I want sort of what we call in law, like sui sponte, like out of nowhere, I want to create something. Um, I would say to really start looking at, and this is where it kind of merges a little bit with like, you know, find what makes you excited or gives you passion. You'll never work a day in your life. I mm-hmm. think that's I think that's also incomplete advice, probably edging towards bad advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would say is there's wisdom in find a problem and fix it, but make sure it's consistent with what makes you happy, what is within your skill set, what's what, what's within your experience set, you know, and so on. And so now it starts to become a more well-rounded picture of how can I serve? How can I start a business? How can I build something or create something that not only meets a need, but is actually consistent with who I am as a person, Mm -hmm. what resources I have, you know, like the antibacterial soap, you know, situation right now, let's just say that history has shown that you need, you know, $50,000 to get into that business. Absolute minimum. Mm -hmm. I have no idea and I have no plans to get into it. But the point is, is like, if I'm broke, and I'm a smart guy and I, you know, I really feel passionate about soap, but I don't have 50 grand. That may not be the best idea for me right now, even though I'm solving a problem. Now, there may be a way to get the money, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of conversations merging. But the point is, is great advice, incomplete advice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, and, I, and I agree. And I think that that touches on or you kind of uh, wove in um, the, the the, the understanding of needs uh, and di- and kind of how have different people uh, have different needs or different kind of stages or kind of just at different you know times of their life and wherever whatever season they're in how right. how do you so I, I I think for me like for it, in terms of kind of the entrepreneurial journey I I was I've always been interested in, in like this big picture vision um, seeing like what what this can look like. Um, and then I was in a class once and, and someone's like, oh yeah, well, how about like these, these legal components? And that was something that was like so, so far down or like, I I wasn't even kind of conceptualized. I was just, I mean, part of it was just, was sheer ignorance and I had no idea about, about it. But the other part was like, oh, I, for me, I was not super, super interested to, um, to, to, to learn more on that. Are you finding that there are some maybe some common needs or some common parts of this process that you're that you're finding a lot of people um maybe overlook or or again is this something where you're kind of seeing people all all across the spectrum of where they really need to hone in on no i think i think you're right and the fact that the you know the law was kind of last and kind of a snoozer for you know you and most people that just makes you normal um and the reason i think there's a few reasons why number one because looking at the legal issues does not tend to bring in income right if i want to create a product if i want to create a you know uh, offer a service like I need ways to bring in income. Law and worrying about the law is not one of those ways. It, it turns out typically to be an expense or just a friction point in our business. So it's only natural and it's kind of sort of logical that that people, even in MBA programs, you know, people that have, have a lot of experience like legal and tax and all that kind of stuff, we kind of like, uh, you know, that's down the road or let somebody else deal with that. But let me let me point out a couple of highlights that I think will just change the perspective a little bit. One is. So, you know, somebody starts a business, they go to their CPA, hey, do I need an LLC or a corporation? And the CPA says, man, you're not even making any money. Like, that's that's kind of silly. Like, why are you going to start creating all this structure and you haven't even made a dime? Because until you make a certain amount, 
Like it really serves no purpose. This is what the CPA may say. Yeah. It really serves no purpose. Now, imagine me, a lawyer, hearing a client come to me and say, well, my CPA just said I don't need a, you know, I don't need a legal entity, a LLC or a corporation because yeah. I don't make any money. And I say, okay, so on your way to your next business meeting, go crash into somebody, and when you get sued, figure out which assets they're going to take. Oh, wait, we don't have a legal entity, so they're definitely taking yours. And, you know, I kind of go through this logic with, mm -hmm. and I've, I've done this for years, obviously, but, yeah. well, you know, I'm a renter. I live in an apartment. You know, my car's worth 500 bucks. I got 500 bucks in the savings account. You know, I'm, I'm basically like, <laughs> they're not getting a dime from me. And I say, is that your is that your business plan? Because in like in California, yeah. um, I, I've been out of court, you know litigation for a while, but I think judgments last for ten years, and you can renew them, which means um, okay. So is your business plan that you won't make a dime for the next ten years? Because if I sue you and I get a judgment against you, I can sit on that and I can wait until you do have a nice home or a nice car or a nice bank account. Or whatever, and then I can come knocking on your door and saying, "Time to you know, time to pay up." Yeah. So part of it is that. Part of it too is that you know, lawyers and, and accountants need to work together in giving this advice because it is it is sort of boring, and it 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 tends to be fear based. That a lot of you know entrepreneurs don't want to look at it because it's like, oh gosh, that's worst case scenario. Statistical probability of all that kind of stuff happening is you know next to next to zero, but that's not a scientific study. That's that's just gut reaction. But when you look at the number of businesses that actually go under every year, and you start to peel back the data, because because always like anybody you ask, if you say what's the number one reason businesses go out uh, go under, pretty much everybody's going to say oh lack of adequate financing, mm -hmm. right? But you start to peel that back, and what you immediately realize is it's very rarely simply that they needed a million and they only had nine hundred thousand, so poof they're out of business. It's because of mismanagement. It's because of partnership disputes. It's because of you know money was spent where it shouldn't have been spent and not spent where it should have been spent. And all of that, guess what? That starts to bubble up lawsuits or disputes in general, whether they go to court or not. So, so part for me, I say, hey, you know, what? I get it, and I'm a I'm a real human being, despite being a lawyer. <laughs> I'm a I'm a real person, right? And and I get it when people are like, I don't want to worry about it. And plus, you know, you're going to tell me I'm going to have to spend all this money on forming a corporation when I don't even make any money. You know, isn't it better if I put that money into marketing or into my product? And I say. Hey, as long as you understand the the balance of risk, then then maybe you're right. But the thing is, all it takes is one product liability. You know, you you ship a product, it breaks and cuts somebody, and they get you know infected or whatever. You render a service and you're not great at doing it, and you get sued for malpractice. You know, whatever that looks like, you're going to you're going to wish that you had a legal entity that was designed to protect your personal assets at that moment. And you're going to wish that you told your CPA, hey, CPA, I know I don't have necessarily tax benefits from day one, but I certainly have legal benefits from day one. And that's when all of a sudden the conversation starts to shift and you're like, you know what? If I'm going to do this right, why wouldn't I do it right from the beginning? Why would I wait? And that's, you know, that's what keeps a lot of lawyers employed actually is um, – you think about it, so many lawyers are just dealing with business disputes and business disruptions, bankruptcy, you know, business bankruptcies and all that simply because 
uh, people wanted to move faster than the law or their, you know, their tax or their financial advice. And they got, you know, so far ahead of themselves, they thought, you know what, I never thought this day would come. But, you know, statistically speaking and probability wise, that day will come. So Mm -hmm. it's like you got to have these conversations whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And it sounds like you need to kind of be in the know and and have done your research and have done some planning before you start to, uh, to kind of get, get everything kind of, I guess, get gears in motion, um, yeah. and get things yeah. moving. Um, well, Hey, I, I there's, there's a, a lot of points I could go in on this book, but I do hope, um, listeners can grab a copy themselves. But what, what I did want to dive in, uh, just for a little bit is, um, the, the, the you spent two chapters on disputes and negotiation, um, which yeah. I think, um, at least in, um, I, I personal personally, I feel like these are overlooked in a lot of um, uh, business books, um, management books that you might read. Why why are these two uh, so important to uh, to consider in this entrepreneurial process? Probably because the vast majority of businesses, um, this is why it's important. The vast majority of yeah. businesses basically live or die on negotiations and dispute resolution. I mean, most businesses go out of business yeah. because of some form of dispute. Mm-hmm. You know, disagreements over how money should be spent, disagreements over where you know where we should put our products or services or how we should market or whatever. So, dispute resolution is critical, but negotiations. People instantly gravitate towards, oh, negotiations, that means, you know, I'm a great negotiator because I can, you know, be mean and always get what I want. But they're not thinking, negotiations is really about communicating in a way where you can you can get what you want and also give the person that you're negotiating against what they want and get more on the table. So it's also like a converse, it's a it's a communication skill. Negotiations is not just give me what I want and I'm good at it. It's also how do I communicate better? And I think those are missing in a lot of books, a lot of, yeah. I mean, in, in all honesty, like I didn't go out and, you know, survey the landscape of books and say, right. well, I'm going to write the, all the stuff that's missing. I wrote from the heart without right. looking at that. But in retrospect, I realized, oh my gosh, you know, I've read hundreds of business books over the years. And most, like you said, most of them are missing these elements, unless it's a, a, an entire book on negotiations or an entire book on dispute resolution. Most business books, most leadership books are not talking about it. And I think partly because it does get into the nuances of the dispute. And it's hard for people, it's hard for authors to articulate that. But I mean, I'm a lawyer. It's it's a lot easier for me to articulate how you deal with those things, how you navigate them, where you learn the skills, you know, what skills mm-hmm. are time tested, where there are pressure points, where there's, you know, gravity to kind of, uh, you know, maybe take some risks. So, yeah, it's it's absolutely critical in business. And you're also right. It's just not being talked about in business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, no, com- completely agree. And um, there, there's a few points that you mentioned in um, your uh uh, negotiation section. I, I just, I just want to to, na- to to name these just because um, I thought they were they were so fascinating. One was outlast exhaustion. The other was be informed. Um, the other was get more on the table, and then roll up your sleeves, make everyone a winner, and then kill your ego. Uh, and I think I think those last two really hit home for me. Um, can you is is the negotiation skill of make everyone a, w- a winner? Is that possible in dispute resolution as well what what is your what is the aim for kind of when you walk out of a dispute what are some maybe some good indicator indicators that you've handled that situation appropriately 
I think one is that when you've handled that situation appropriately, you know that you've brought uh, finality to it. I think that's one element is that every dispute should have finality. Yeah. Because if it doesn't, you know, you just never know when it's going to rear its head again. And mm-hmm. you're, you're basically looking over your shoulder. Or if you're not aware, um, you're not looking over your shoulder and it just punches you in the back when you least expect it. So I think one of those big things is you'll know that you did a good job with dispute resolution when you know you brought finality to the situation. Number two, I, I truly believe and, I, and I'm not convinced that this is just because I'm a Christian and just because I have like this massive amount of hope and faith, <laughs> um, which I do. I truly believe that every dispute um, and every person walking away from a dispute can actually feel better walking away from it, yeah. um, however it ends. And the reason why is because I think that it's in our psychology that we have insecurity when we're battling. We have insecurity when we're at odds with each other. And that when we when we can work towards an outcome, even if it's not an outcome we're happy with, because of the certainty of cutting it off, the, the finality I talked about a second ago, right. and because I do think that we can actually still build people up, even in the process of dispute resolution, that people can actually come uh, away, walk away from it healthier and with better perspective and actually do better in business. So part of it, too, mm-hmm. is I'm not the kind of person, you know, I love to, to solve issues like right now. But I also love to what I call future proof. And I know you hear that term a lot, you know, these days. Um, I like the future proof relationships. And, and what I mean by that is to say, what can we learn from this dispute that will help us avoid this kind of dispute in the future? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I know I, I truly believe that the, you know, the other part of the answer to your question is you'll know you've done a good job with dispute resolution when you've when you've really, truly learned how to avoid it and what you could have done better. Like all of the, all of the things that you should have learned from it, you actually did learn and you can walk away and say, mm-hmm. I won't repeat that thing. And not because you just make a blanket statement like I'll never do that again, but you actually, you, you learn something from it. So I think those are the key indicators um, that I would at least like initially respond with. Yeah. No. Well, thank you for that. Uh, that very thoughtful and, and helpful response. Um, and, and just to kind of, uh, before we we close out, I just want to know if there's any um, final words of advice um, or encouragement for for people that are looking to start a business and just want to be um, to be prepared and uh, and ready to kind of get over that. You know, I think there's sometimes this initial hump of the, of, of launching something. Um, just for for these for these folks, um, and then also just where we can we can find you and, and get a copy of the book and and and, and all that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anybody that wants to kind of find out about me, I've created what I would call sort of a central hub of me, which which would you know relate to my law practice, my consulting agency, my writing and all that kind of stuff. And that's at brockshinen.com. Um, so that's a good place to start. And then, you know, there's a, obviously a lot of different trails you can take to figure out more about, you know, my work in one area or another, speaking, writing, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think in, in the book, um, actually through my website, you can download a free chapter. So that's one of the benefits there. But obviously the book's available on Amazon and the audio book. Um, I'm thinking and, and this I could be off, but I'm thinking it's due out around the middle of April um, 2020. So that's that's coming up real quick here. And uh, as far as like I, I just wanted to go back real quickly, if I could, uh, maybe a few seconds. Sure. 
I think the biggest piece of advice that I could give to somebody who wanted to start something, uh, start a business, is this, is that success is built in incremental steps. And everybody, everybody is looking, including people who are really deeply experienced and have built successful things in the past. We all tend to still have in us this instinct to search for quick solutions, fast builds, you know, like bypasses and shortcuts. And that's why, you know, for like the last decade, we've seen so many like quick hacks, you know, life hacks. We're, We're always looking for hacks, how to get something done quicker. And there are ways to bypass reinventing the wheel. But when you build a business... What, what I see is that 99% of all entrepreneurs give up long before they ever had a shot. And if they and when I say long before, what I mean by that is if they knew this was going to be a journey and an incremental build, that they would keep pouring foundation, building on it, pouring more foundation, building on it. They would realize if I just stuck with it, I would actually come to success. But they give up and then what they do is they shift to something new. And now they're diverting all that energy that they could have put in one thing into a second thing and then a third thing and a fourth thing. And so you see these patterns of I'm going to start building oh, six months in. I'm, I'm disillusioned. It didn't work. I mean, who's belie- who believes they're going to build a successful business in six months? Um, unless you're an antibacterial soap right now <laughs> on this literally this day, um, it's yeah. going to be a longer build. Right. Right. And so I think the, the biggest piece of advice I can give it would be to look at building a business as a long-term investment in your life and an incremental build. And I would say, just as a as a bonus, if there's one thing that I think kills a business, kills a negotiation, kills a dispute, kills ingenuity, kills creativity, kills, 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 it's pride. And I know that may sound like, okay, we know that's Bible talk and whatever, but I'm not kidding you how many negotiations I've seen just destroyed, how many lawsuits, how many families I've seen destroyed because somebody couldn't get their pride in check and they had to win and they called it, um, you know, what's the principle of it? That's always the code word. Like for me, if I hear a principle, it's a red flag. I don't care if you're Christian or not. If I hear that word, I'm like, okay, let's dig into that because then what we start to find is, no, it's not principle. It's not, it's not righteous justice. It typically, I'm not saying it's never, I'm saying typically it's not righteous justice or principle. It's actually just your ego. You don't want to get beat. You feel taken advantage of. You feel stupid. So I'd say if you want to bypass, if, if you want a quick hack, actually, here's your quickest hack you could possibly make. Kill your ego right now. That will be your number one um, thing that you can do right now instantly that will actually improve your probability of success in business. Well, um, well, what a great way to, to end the conversation. And Brock, um, it's been a joy having you on and just hearing um, a lot of the heart that you've put into this book and um, just uh, taking out some insights that, that I know I, I, um, I value and I'm sure listeners will as, as well. So thank you so much for joining today. Yeah, thanks so much, Tyler. I've, I've really appreciated the time with you. Appreciate being able to speak to your people. And I hope that uh, everything I've said helps and the book yeah. helps and all that.